Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Mothers of Misfits. And we've got a wonderful member of the mom community with us today. Jill Ladati is a mom and a speech language pathologist. Her two sons and husband have ADHD. And what's so cool is that together as a family, they wrote a memoir called Itchy Brain, and we'll get into that in a minute. So cool, good name, to help spread awareness for ADHD. They want to share their journey and experiences with others with the goal of turning a negative stigma into a positive one. Jill, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So let's just get right to that name, Itchy Brain. I love it. And that's the name of your book. It's the name of your site, your shop. Where did that name come from? It came from my older son, who is now eighth grader, so he's going to be 14, but probably when he was around 11 years old, he has ADHD and he was just having a moment of dysregulation. He was on his bed. He was crying. He just wasn't having a really good day. So I walk in there and I said, bud, what's going on? What's going on? He's like, I don't know. No, my brain, it just feels itchy. And I'm like, itchy? So I kind of take a step back and I look at him and I look at my husband and I said, wow, that's, that's pretty powerful for an 11-year-old to describe how he's feeling. So I asked him again, he's like, my brain, it just feels itchy. And so from then on, we just use that to describe when he was having difficulty or dysregulation and we called it itchy brain. And we just thought, what a better way to describe it and help others understand what ADHD is. So we just wrote a story and we wrote our memoir and just tell people about our journey as being parents. Yeah, who- he is a really clever kid. I love that name. And it's it's such a, a tactile descriptor of yep. what's going on. Um, so so tell me, how did your story unfold? So you met your husband, and when you met him, he knew he had ADHD, correct? He did. He did. He didn't really necessarily get diagnosed um, right away because he was just you know he's just a kid and. When you're born in the late 70s, you don't typically get diagnosed. His mom was a, a a teacher and she just knew what she needed to do to help him and support him just from being a teacher. So as he got older and we got married, it was just things he did. I, that's what attracted me to him. I was like, wow, this crazy, this crazy wild guy, you know, I just love it. And then from then on, we just you know, had kids and I started noticing some tendencies. I call them unique characteristics of the boys. My younger one and both of them were in my stomach constantly flipping. And I'm like, ooh, this, I'm like, these are active boys. Cause you just, you know, everyone thinks it's active. They're active. They're active. Of course they're active. But there was something that I noticed that I realized like, okay, I'm getting a lot of phone calls from schools. I'm getting a lot of emails. Let me see what's going on. So when they turned, Right before eight or around eight, before going into third grade, I was like, all right, this is the time when I should get them diagnosed just to get those accommodations they needed for them to have the success they they should get. Because the last thing you want is someone to not like school because the teacher's not supporting them. So that was our biggest thing. You know, I don't I knew what I needed to do being at home to help them, but I just wanted them to have confidence at the schools. Absolutely. 
And how did you help them not see that diagnosis as a negative thing? I mean, I'm sure it helped that their dad had right. that and they you know, look mm -hmm. up to him and how he has turned that into a positive. But what kinds of conversations did you have with them about this being more superpowers or capabilities yeah. or strengths that we just need to harness in the right ways versus the negative labels, the negative stigmas that often come with a diagnosis like this? Right. So you said it perfectly. It's such a negative stigma. We want to turn it into a positive. I always provided them with the language they needed being a speech language pathologist. I'm always like, all right, this is what you need to say. If you need to take a walk, you have to ask. I need a break. If you are having trouble focusing, you ask, can I have a fidget? Can I chew some gum? So we had a lot of accommodations that were added into their, their 504 plans that we established as a team. But I think the biggest thing was, is I showed them how to advocate for themselves. And I told them, listen, it doesn't matter if you're hyperactive, you're living life in the moment. It doesn't matter if you talk so much, you just want to get your point across. You're passionate. So we tried to turn all those characteristics that I wouldn't even say are negatives, but just something that is a, is a, a trait of ADHD. And we turned it to be just a negative attribute, as I say, and, and it, it, it really helped them to understand and early on, they'd be like, I have ADHD, uh, you know, I need a break or I have this, I have that. So it was very, they were very, very cute with how they, they perceive themselves. And when they had to explain themselves to teachers or coaches or friends when they were having moments. So Mm -hmm. And kudos to you. I mean, that's exactly what we want to have happen. And what we talk about so much on this podcast is empowering our kids yeah to ultimately be their own best advocate. And mm -hmm. we stand in for as long as we need to, but we can't be with them 100% of the time. Correct. And giving them that self-awareness to first know what they need and then the confidence to express what they need and then involving the system to honor that. And mm -hmm. speaking of, so you're in the system, right? You're yeah. a speech language pathologist, as we said, and you see things from that perspective. Has it helped you to be a teacher in SLP or maybe hurt you sometimes that you see that side of things too? I'm just curious because you, yeah. you really have a foot in each camp as, as the mom and then also as the professional. And married to a gentleman oh, who has yes. it. So I, yes. so I have the, I do, I, I do look at stuff differently. I think being a speech language pathologist and I work in a private special ed school. So it's, I, I typically have children who have other diagnoses that are maybe coupled with ADHD. I think the biggest thing is when you go to school, you're not taught, you're taught what you're needed to teach because of research or because of what's written in the books, but you're not really taught okay, if he's having a, a breakdown or a meltdown, or even as they say, like a, a tantrum, something that might work that they said in a book doesn't necessarily work because every child's different. That's why they have these individual education plans because you want them to have the success that they, they need. So I think I always looked at it as, okay, you might have this, you know, diagnosis, but you know, you having breaks might not work. You might need more structure and you might need stuff to be written down or you might need frequent breaks and you might need a sensory diet to help them with, you know, the, the deep pressure that they need. So I looked at it that way. And when I graduated, you know, we, uh, my husband and I ended up getting married after I graduated college, grad school. I still, I had a few years to really understand 
what it was to be a speech language pathologist and to get the experience I needed for the, you know, what, what the students need and the supports and be like, Hey, this is reality. You know, you, what you learn in textbook has nothing to do with it. It's all about experience. It's all about confidence. It's trial and error, you know, and if you make a mistake, it's not a big deal. You can fix it. You know, you just move forward and you and you brainstorm, and you talk to your colleagues and, you know, you just see what will work for the child because, the biggest thing is you want that child, like I said, to have that success. And it doesn't matter what diagnosis they have. You can tell that a child's having success because they want to come to your class and they they have that expression. They might be communicating in a different way. So if a child acts out, it's not necessarily they're having bad behavior. They're just trying to communicate, whether it's functionally or just trying to get their point across. So I think it did help in regards to raising our kids and understanding. The funny thing is, even though my husband has ADHD, he looked at stuff so differently because his ADHD is so different than my two boys. And my two boys also have such different uh, characteristics for their ADHD. So it's funny, you kind of have to look at stuff as a whole, but you also have to remember there's all little branches that branch off and it doesn't matter. No one goes the same route. It's just, it's such, like I said, it's really not a disability, it's just unique characteristics to make you who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even amongst us misfits, which really everybody yeah. is a, a misfit yes. in some way, we're misfits of misfits. And yeah, you know, there just is no one size fits all. And even amongst different groupings or different mm-hmm. capabilities or challenges, there's variations in that. And it sounds a lot to me like parenting and teaching are really similar in that you can read all the books <laughs> yeah. and have all the head knowledge and expertise. And it's not really until you live it that it's Correct. like, oh, whoa, whoa, okay. Now yeah. I I think I get this, but more than anything, it's it's humbling to say, oh, I don't always got this. Yeah. <laughs> At least that's you how do. I feel like parenting is. <laughs> it's you have to be of, flexible. You have to be very yeah, flexible. Very mm-hmm. flexible and willing to adapt and adjust. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and admit that that didn't work. I mean, how how many of us are, I'll say, before right. I was a parent, right? I was really good at being critical of everybody yes. else's parenting style. <laughs> and like, I'm never going to do that. I'm surely not going to do that. I am always going to do this. And then again, the experience of it is like, whoa, okay, this is harder than I thought, or yeah. that does not work with my kids, or it doesn't work mm-hmm. like it did in the book. Yeah. So just constantly moving forward with curiosity and humility, mm-hmm. whether we're teachers, whether we're parents, you know, wherever yeah. we are and encountering, encountering other human beings, that tends to just be a good way forward. And it's funny, um, I feel as though I became a better speech language pathologist after mm-hmm. I had my boys, because mm-hmm. you do, you look at stuff differently. And being, like you said, you do have to adapt more, but you also have to take into everyone's perspective. So mm-hmm. As a speech language pathologist, I would look at, you know, my boys' teachers and think, okay, so they might not be as flexible. They might not want to do it this way. So you tell me what you want to do and you explain to me if this is going to work. And if it doesn't work, then we're going to have to come up with a a new plan. But I always... I always, we picked our battles. We always tried to take a step back. And I used to talk to my husband and we would be like, okay, when should we contact the teacher? When should we contact or call a meeting? And we would read that our children too, because if they came home and they weren't upset or something wasn't bothering them, I'm like, okay, let's just leave it. And we're not going to make a big deal about it. And then if, if we notice that situations were bothering them or, you know, other students might 
look at them or they're like, oh, they kind of were mean or I can't help moving so much, mom, you know, but sometimes they stare at me and I'm like, okay, well, they're probably thinking like, that's cool. I can't move my body like that. Or I would have never thought to say that, you know, I go, who cares what people think? It doesn't matter because you guys are kids. And as you grow older, I go, people stare at people all the time. I always tell them that I go, it doesn't really matter. I go, you look, when you go out, you look at people, just think of it as they're looking at you thinking like, wow, they're pretty cool. I so. like that. So what do you think of the phrase, ah, boys will be boys or boys are just, they're just being boys. I know that it is that that's definitely a hard one with you having boys because you do you Mm -hmm. people always think oh boys will be boys boys will be boys and so when I was pregnant that's what I was thinking oh I'm gonna have a really active boy but we had to really break it down to see when we started noticing some discrepancies in their in academics or in that their little education and just looking at their overall mental health when they would come home and they're like mom I'm crying so much you know I'm really I might be hyper and I'm going around, but I can't control my emotions and I don't want someone making fun of me or, you know, I'm moving too much and yeah, I can take my breaks, but no one else is taking breaks, mom. I go, you know, so we really need to look at, yeah, boys might be boys, but it also might be their behaviors might be really a cry for help to be like, all right, what can I do to help adjust the way I'm acting to make it more functional so that not saying that a child might look differently, which we all know being a child, it's so hard, but I do believe that being a child, everyone looks at, everyone looks at what everyone else is doing. Mm -hmm. And if a boy is running around and being wild, maybe look at it like, okay, maybe they need to be on the outside of the mat, or maybe they need to go run an errand to the principal. So it's more functional in what you're trying to you know, adjust with that behavior or decrease that behavior versus, oh, a boy will be boy, a boy, you know, Mm -hmm. boys will be boys. It is, it's, you kind of feel like you're always defending yourself or you're always on guard when you have children. But then when you have boys, you're like, oh yeah, boys will be boys. Like, no, it's, it's different when a Mm -hmm. child might be diagnosed with ADHD, especially being a boy, just because of the energy level. But overall, I do feel like as long as you can really look at it as, as a whole and not look at it Mm -hmm. as like, okay. Well, I like your approach, which is what are the individual needs Mm -hmm. of that boy, of that child? What is working? What's not? How do we better accommodate it? How do we find positive outlets for it? And how do we preserve their confidence in the meantime? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's not a gender thing. That's not an age thing. It's not a diagnosis thing. That's just a human being to human being thing. Mm -hmm. And I do think that children, when they're initially diagnosed with ADHD or even adults, it it Mm -hmm. does turn into something different. So my younger son who it does, it evolves. So my young, my older son was very, very hyper as a kid and he's definitely mellowed out being a teenager, but we've noticed other things. So more emotional dysregulation and more, um, it would be like executive and more of like an executive functioning type that we're noticing. Like he's really having a difficult time with time management and really initiating the plan. But my younger one also has anxiety in addition to ADHD. So we're, we see more of that, those type of tendencies. So it's definitely, 
it evolves. So, you know, mm-hmm. a child might change, but they, even though they might be maturing, they also, it just might be, they figured out the coping strategies they needed for that initial characteristic. And now they need to address other characteristics that might be coming up because of different situations or different um, events in their life that have occurred. And that goes back to that stay humble part, because just when you think you've got it, you know, life changes on you, they're maturing, their bodies are changing, their social world is changing, education is changing. And for those of you who have not yet listened to Luke Gilligan's episode, actually, he's going to be coming back on because he has ADHD. He also has bipolar two, I believe, if I'm remembering that correctly, which he's, he's going to be chatting about that on the podcast as well incredible young man. He's in college and he's not just surviving. He is thriving in college, but he really speaks to what it's like to, to be the young man and to be in that system. And he does embrace everything about himself, but definitely I, I appreciate that he, you know, as parents, us talking about it from a parent perspective is great, but to hear from it, from the child perspective at this point, he's a young man, but to hear about it from his perspective is so very helpful, especially, you know, for you that have kiddos that are more Jill's age, it's, it's helpful to kind of see the preview and where this is going, but he really opened my eyes to that difference between child ADHD and then the adult version of that. And Totally helpful conversation. But last thing I want to chat with you about, Jill, is is something that you actually dedicate an entire chapter of your book to, which is food dyes, particularly red food dye. And I know I have quite a few friends who have found that removing dyes from their children's diet has helped with behavior, particularly hyperactivity. I know there's tremendous amounts of research on that. Can you talk us through how you as a family decided that that was not helpful um, to have in your diet and, and some of the benefits of removing it? Mm-hmm. Sure. So red dye, what we figured out when they were younger, unfortunately, it's in everything. It's in yeah. vanilla frosting. It's in what? Yep, vanilla cake mix, yellow cake mix. Yeah, it, it's, it's difficult. We only stick to Betty Crocker. We love Betty Crocker. They have everything that, you know, they have very limited red dyes. A lot of even frostings have the yellow dyes, but they're okay with the yellow dyes. But even marshmallows have red dye in them. What? Yeah. This is crazy. I I know. And what is it about the red dye in particular? Because they can handle blue and yellow fine? We have never figured out. We just knew it was linked to some sort of the red dye, whether it was natural or artificial. But what we figured out with them is my older one became very dysregulated. He became very emotional. He just couldn't handle it. So we took Skittles out. Our kids love chocolate. They're they're chocolate fiends now because it's just so easy and simple. But it was just so difficult when they would go to parties because so many people it's always had the dyes and the cakes or the chips so doritos cool cool ranch doritos yep cool ranch doritos so places that you yeah i know just don't think about and it's one thing to be an adult and read labels i have some issues with food i gotta read the label and everything but to be a kid and ask the parent of the house you're visiting can i please read the back of the doritos bag i mean that and it's that has to be hard it is you know it's funny both of them do have a difficult time reading or they've struggled in the past so the one thing they've become very familiar with and they learn early on is to read labels because they would look for and there's so many different red dyes there's red lake dyes and there's just red dyes and it's just, it, 
it definitely was a learning lesson for all of us, but we created a food diary for them. That's how we figured it out. We did a big log and we just, I just ended up omitting it from their diets. And we noticed an, a huge increase in the ability to handle different situations. And our younger one would get more hyper. So we definitely decreased that because he def- has much more energy than probably an average child. But then when you add the red dye, he it was as if he looked like a pinball machine ball that would just go back and forth. He just, he's like, I can't control myself. And, and he just would, we would just put him to bed or they would take a nap. So it was a learning lesson for everyone. It was hard, the grandparents, you know, because you just want to give. So they had to read the labels. It was, it was definitely a learning curve for all of us, but in the long run, you know, dies like we were talking, anyone talks about really shouldn't be in foods. So our- yep, shouldn't be in foods, but that's a story for another day. But if anybody who's in charge of regulating that in the United States is listening, we're voting for no doubt. We are. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, I I see it too, I, and I'm living proof that food means a lot in terms of the outcome of your life. So what goes in comes out, yep. and if you know not so great stuff goes in, then a lot of those not so great behaviors or feelings come out. And I try to be mindful of my kiddo's diet, but I also get, you don't want to be the mean mom all the time. You know, when they go trick or treating and and you say, I got to go through, I got to go through the candies first before you eat something. And it's like, mom. So we've tried doing things like trading them out in the past and they're pretty good about that, but they're still younger. I'm sure as they get older, this is going to get harder, but I'll have a stash of candies that I know I feel good about Mm -hmm. at home. And then when they go to school or a party or trick or treating and they get something that they know is probably not something that's great for them, they'll bring it back and we swap out. So I'm not asking them to totally miss out. It's not the same. You know, they're not always participating in the moment. And I get that. But that's worked pretty well for us. Uh, But hey, if any of you out there have good ideas, we're all here. So please share that with us. You can let us know on our social media pages, send us an email, uh, get a hold of us on the website. But I want to send us off, Jill. Uh, but first, can you let everyone know where they can get a hold of your book and also just learning more about your family? Yes. So our book you can find on Amazon. It's called Itchy Brain. It's a family's perspective and positive outlook on ADHD. That's the full title. Uh, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or any other online bookstores or distributors. We do have a website. It's uh, www.itchybrainadhd.com. And we do have an Instagram that you can find and it's itchy underscore brain underscore ADHD. I love it. And I was checking out some of your most recent posts and it's such a great thing to follow. Whether you have ADHD or a family member does, it's just great to follow because you also just talk about advocacy and parenting Mm -hmm. and laughing at ourselves sometimes and embracing being a misfit. So be sure to follow them there. But Jill, you have so generously offered to give away a free book, a free copy of Itchy Brain to one of our listeners. So if that sounds interesting to you, here's all you've got to do. Just comment on our social media postings about this episode. Uh, Every Tuesday, we put announcements out on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, and Instagram about Mothers of Misfits in the latest episode. So when Jill's episode comes out, uh, just comment. When you see that, just tell us something you like about this episode, something you learned, maybe um, some 
cake recipes that don't include red dyes (laughs) or how you've convinced your kids not to eat Skittles. We want to hear from you, but just throw something in the comments and that'll automatically uh, put you in the running for getting a free book. And then we'll make sure to let you know if you're the winner. Jill, thank you so, so much for spending your uh, at this point afternoon with me, um, but everybody listening will probably catch this a different time, but we're just really glad that you shared your wisdom with us, your mom perspective, your, your professional perspective. And I know we've all gained some really great tips, tricks, and strategies today. So thanks again. No, thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.